that I stop saying, if you will do this, God, I will do this, to saying, God, even if this happens, I'm all in. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. Baby, baby. Come on, we're back. We're back. Hey, this is episode 27 of Life After Addiction. And if you missed last week, gosh, man. Chitty, man. Go back and watch it. It's uh, Chittister tells his story, his testimony, and have some Kleenexes ready because it was powerful, just the work that God's done in his life. And uh, yeah, man, what'd you think? How you feeling after that? Feel good, man. It was uh, just one of those moments where the spirit was moving. Yeah. Um, and it it's praise God for all that He's done in, in my life, and yeah, I pray that touches somebody else. Yeah. So today I'm going to, we're going to close out this little series of meet the host. I'm going to share my testimony. Um, it's kind of a, we are in a, um, we are in an interesting moment as we, Chittister and I, we like to, before we start podcasting, we really like kind of to talk, but also, uh, throw some worship music on and then just make sure that our hearts are pure and what we're saying, that we're honoring God and not ourselves and, um, I definitely want to honor God with my story. I feel like uh, I've told it a lot. I know Carl has heard me say it probably 25, 26 times over um, just the last, I don't know, five, six months as we launched the documentary and been talking a lot about the documentary, but everyone you know wants to hear, you know, hey, tell us your story. And so uh, I'm, I'm really wanting this not to be that, um, not to be that. Because I feel like in the interviews that I've done, it's been rushed because it's a, a time frame, and I try to cut out some details. And so I'm really wanting to you see that right there. Hey, <laughs> do you see that right there? That's called the fastest hands in the West, baby. <laughs> if I were alive in those days, watch out. <laughs> but I'm really wanting this, this to come from a pure heart and not a mundane, hey, just tell your story again. And also just making sure that it's bringing God the highest praises. Amen. Um, and so, yeah, so my story is, um, I guess it's, I was born at a really young age. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Okay. Carl gets my humor. <laughs> um, no, I was, I was born into a loving family, similar to yours, man. Two amazing, uh, parents still have two amazing parents. Uh, they're educators, uh, both are teachers. My mom, uh, spent 30 years as a special education teacher. So I grew up going to special Olympics and just, I don't know, that heart for, um, I don't know, helping. And then my dad's a coach, a basketball coach. He, I grew up going to also going to practices as a wee lad uh, and hearing my dad. I mean, if you took a picture or if you looked up an 80s basketball coach. In the Come picture on, there, short shorts? I mean, the shorts, Come the on. tight collared shirt, yeah. and then just perma whistle and yeah. then the stash. And that's my dad. It's a perma whistle. <laughs> I mean, he always wore a whistle. That's whether, right. Whether he was at home or whatever, he just had a whistle around his neck. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he was, as a young man, he was a hard man. Uh, as when I was young, he was hard. And just when I was going to these practices, I mean, he coached high school and looking up at these, what seemed to be grown men, right. When I'm three, four, five, six, seven. And he was just, boy, I was intimidated by him. And so were they, you know, he, he would bark and they would, they would listen. Uh, and so that was kind of upbringing, loving, uh, you know, no abuse, no, um, uh, trauma in my life. And I, and I say that because you and I, as you and I know, 
that's not everyone's case. Yep. Uh, a lot of times guys come to us in the darkest season of their life and they're numbing um, things. They turn to drugs and alcohol because they did have a lot of trauma in their life. And a lot of times it's, it's from the people who uh, are supposed to be protecting them. Yeah. And so I just bring that up because that's not my story. That's not, that's not what led me to uh, a life of addiction. Uh, but grew up, man, really had everything I needed. Have an older brother, Alex, and a younger brother, Aaron. I was the middle child as well, Chittister. Come on, baby. Uh, so we had to learn how to fight up and down. That's right. Uh, but uh, great guys. And, yeah, played sports all throughout coming up. Every sport you could think of in the South, at least, didn't do ice hockey. Uh, but ice hockey's in the South now. It wasn't then. I think we had one skating rink in our whole city, ice skating rink. And they weren't doing ice skating there. Uh, but baseball, basketball, um, maybe a little football. I definitely played backyard football um, with the older, well, older guys. Um, yeah, man, and just soccer, just loved sports, loved going to church, went to church my whole life. Um, and, yeah, so in high school, fasting, fast forward some, uh, was very, very uh, popular, uh, had a lot of friends. But I, I, looking back now, I can kind of notice – some of the places in my heart. I said I went to church, but I didn't know who God was mm. um, personally. I, I believed in Him, like you said. I think yep. I, I believed in God, uh, but I didn't. I didn't have uh, believing faith. Yeah. And popular in school, and if I can look back now, it's like, man, I was a chameleon to every group there was. Unfortunately, in high school, uh, most of you know, there's different cliques. There's the jocks and the um, skaters. I don't know what it is now. Yeah. I'm aging myself maybe, but there was, you know, there was band and jocks and skaters and alternative and nerds. And I mean, I could be that for every group. And so I was liked by every group because I knew how to put a mask on. Uh, and I guess that was somewhere and not, not trying to get too Freud, but just looking back, I could see that was the beginning of me filling a void yeah. of me needing to be, something for others to be accepted. And I could see that, um, started dating, uh, Katie, my wife in high school, sophomore year, 16 years old. Um, and you'll probably put a picture up here, maybe our first prom or homecoming or something. Wow. You'll see, Hey, daddy was a stud. Now, hold on. Hey, Hey, no. <laughs> um, and just had an amazing group of friends and it was just, I was, I was a good kid. I would say I didn't party or anything like that. Uh, my group, my group group, you know, was a really good group of guys and gals and, um, yeah. And so did all of those things. And then when I went off to college, I went off to UT Chattanooga, I was going to try to walk on and play basketball because it was me and another senior on the team where there was only two seniors on our basketball team, Gerald and myself. Well, he had a scholarship to go play at UT Chattanooga. He was really good, uh, and I was going to attempt to maybe walk on, but um, I, I found freedom first, uh, first time away from family. It was an hour and a half away, Chattanooga from mm -hmm. Knoxville, uh, and just began kind of partying and, man, doing that. That was the only I didn't even I didn't even do anything with basketball. Yeah. From the moment I got there, it was just drugs, women, alcohol, partying, 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 um, Interesting enough, one of my dearest friends today, and I didn't plan on talking about this, uh, he is uh, Seth Hammond. He was in the documentary. Uh, he is a pastor of a church in Knoxville, but he was my roommate my my freshman year. And he would be, I would be coming in in the mornings as he was waking up to, like, get ready for class and stuff. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, that dude, 
uh, is probably, he's one of those guys that if you talk to him and didn't know him, you'd be like, man, is this guy real? Like, is he kind of, cause he's so kind. Like he's one, he's, he's generally one of those people that I have to pull people aside when they mean be like, Hey, he's really that, like, he's really that nice, that good of a dude. He, that's not a facade. You know what I mean? Those yeah. kind of people. Wow. And I mean, he was in high school. It was like, he's either going to be a pastor or a president, the next president or our president of the United States when, you know, later in life. And he's a pastor now and he might be a president one day, but, um, he was my college roommate and just, he loved me through a time that was, I was rebelling and I was doing stuff and I didn't, I felt loved by him and safe and I'll get to him later in the story maybe, but yeah. And during this time in college kind of moved, uh, to new Orleans, hurricane Katrina hit. Um, but I mean, I was years in college, just that, that void that was, I need acceptance in high school or whatever it was that it was a God sized hole being filled by things that never could fulfill it. And now in, in college, it was still that, but now it was like drugs and alcohol and drugs and alcohol every night of the week, literally every night of the week. And I thought it was, I didn't register. This as an issue, right? This was like, well, Hey, everybody's doing this. I was just, uh, everybody wasn't doing it right. every night of the week, but I was, and there was groups of people that was, and yeah. so, you know, and then hurricane Katrina hit and I moved down to new Orleans and, um, injured my back. I think I fell off of a roof. Um, and man, I found, prescription pain medication for what I want to say is maybe the first time probably because the drugs and stuff in college wasn't really pain pills at that time. It was more like whatever. I don't mean to name drugs, but, um, yeah, injured my back, found prescription pain medication. And the moment that I took that, it was, Ooh, that's what you've been missing. Mm. It's not the women. It's not the friends. It's not the acceptance. It's not the alcohol. It's not the partying. That's what you've been missing your entire life. And from there, it just began, I mean, and you guys know if you've battled an addiction, uh, it's, you're always chasing that feeling, right? And then it, you need more to get that feeling, and then more. And then um, in college, uh, my high school sweetheart and I, we broke up in college. And then after uh, I lived in Louisiana, New Orleans, I moved back to Knoxville and started courting my wife. But her dad's a pastor. Um, he just he actually just announced he is um, retiring after 31 years as a college pastor, which is pretty unheard of, um, at his church. And he's moving here to middle Tennessee, uh, to be with the grandkids around the closer to the grandkids. Wow, that's awesome. Dude. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so she, she, she just announced it uh, Sunday at church, but he, uh, she's the pastor's kid, right? And she's the good kind, you know, right. yeah, I don't know if any of you know about PKs, what they call them. There's, there's typically two, there's really good, kind, sweet, innocent, and then there's really rebellious. And she was not rebellious. She was, very kind, sweet, innocent, and, and, and honestly, uh, easy to manipulate. And so I came back and she thought everything was fine, man. And we, um, started kind of dating again. And then one of the things, and I'll have this for you, I'm sure. One of the things, um, we had, we love basketball, right? So we had season tickets to the Tennessee men's basketball. And one of the things she always would say, we were up in the nosebleed. She's like, I want to be on the kiss cam. And they'd never come up there in the kiss cam. So, I arranged one of my buddies, if you watched a few episodes ago, I don't know, we talked about Brett. He had some pool during this time because he played in the major leagues, and he made some phone calls for me. And we got some seats down low, and one of the cameramans was aware. And so on the kiss cam, I proposed to my wife, and you can see that clip here. <laughs>
That's amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was it. Yeah. So, um, when that came out, there was those commercials, real man of genius. I won't say what kind of commercial. I don't want to trigger anyone. But around that time when, when I did that, the commercial real man of genius came. Here's to you, Mr. Kiss Cam proposal guy. You have the three things in life you love the most. Your girl, your team, and all the attention. And so <laughs> my friends busted on me about that forever. But she said yes, and mm. uh, we got married again. I was living a life that she did not know of. Um, we were dating, engaged, and then now married. And um, life began to spiral quicker and quicker because I needed more and more to have that, a little taste of that feeling. And so I was just buying drugs and stealing things and getting cash advances. And, you know, I, was, I had a pretty decent job as a healthcare recruiter. Um, and my wife thought I was bringing home like $150, $200 a week and the rest was going into drugs. And again, never saw my check. I would always cash it. Just living this, this disgusting life, man. Until eventually, man, what was in the dark came into the light and my wife actually thought I was having an affair. Right. And it was so secret. That was the feelings that I was creating with the secretive, with the line, with the leaving to do something. And the dope man's never punctual. So whenever I was leaving, I had to be gone forever and then come back Um, real secretive with my phone. And man, I guess in essence, I was I was having an affair with drugs. Yeah. And so she confronted me and she she was like, hey, I just I, I know something's not right. I just need to know. Are you having an affair? And I don't know why I wasn't like a super righteous man. I loved her. She's the only woman I ever loved. Um, And her asking me that kind of broke me. And so I kind of confessed. I was like, no, I'm addicted to drugs, to these pills. And I mean, being ignorant, she was just like, well, just flush them. We'll be fine. Let's go. You know, not knowing about addiction. And so, you know, whatever. And then it kind of led to, okay, well, you can't, you need to go get help. So I went to the secular places and she was so, um, supportive man along with my parents I mean every time there was an opportunity for her to be there or to be involved in counseling she was um boom and doing these things outpatient inpatient and you know I remember one stint I did um at this you know supposedly one of the best places in the southeast with the best doctors and everything you know um I remember she was so involved and the day I got out, she had planned like a, a getaway for a weekend getaway or something in Gatlinburg. And the day I got out, I was already, I scored and was going and I was using again because it was never, I guess I never, I don't know what it was, man. I think it was, I didn't really want to quit or I thought I was, I thought I, I don't, who knows what people think when they relapse or when they continue to do drugs and make choices to choose the drugs over the family. But the Bible says what's in the dark comes into the light. What will eventually be brought into the light on this side or the next. And, man, my lifestyle did come into the light. And she couldn't do it anymore. And she left me. She separated from me. And so now all of my bank accounts, all of every, I've ruined everything for her and I. Um, And then just staying anywhere I could. And I told you about the Brett um, I've talked about a Brett's house. The guy was one of the places I could stay, but eventually I was kicked out of everywhere I could stay. And I just remember my parents, um, allowing me to sleep at their house, but at six in the morning, they would knock on the door and they'd kick me out. And that used to make me so mad at my parents. But then looking back, it's like, well, if I, if they didn't do that, I would steal from them. Right. So how silly is that mindset? 
And man, was just at my wits end. And I guess because my I grew up going to church, I just remember Googling something as like, is there such thing as Christian addiction recovery? Because I had tried the thousand meetings or whatever, 90 meetings. And I went to so many meetings. I did the steps. I had the sponsors. I did all this stuff. And I was like, well, I guess this just doesn't work for me. And I Googled Christian addiction recovery and S2L came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was in middle Tennessee. It was two and a half hours away. Didn't know how I was going to get there or whatever. But I mean, I just knew, I, I remember seeing the website and just know, knew this is different. Okay. And I felt drawn to be there. No one feels drawn to go to rehab or wants to go to rehab. So I'm not saying that I did, but I felt like this was what's for me and ended up, you know, wife leaving me. Uh, I remember the day I was just, I was probably trying to manipulate it, but I needed my wife to say, and I can, I could see this was 10 plus years ago. I needed her to say, I think I was on the phone actually. I needed her to say that she would be there for me when I got back and she wouldn't. She's like, I can't, I'm, I'm separating from you and I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to write you. Don't call me. I need uh, just, it's over pretty much. And so with that, getting in the car and driving for two and a half hours or whatever to my parents dropping me off, and I just was in, I was just a miserable person. I remember my mom saying, hey, is there a way we could find out how he's doing because he hates us? And I was probably high as they dropped me off, and I just remember, like, I don't hate you. Why? Why did you say that? Looking back now, I, I can pinpoint I was hatred towards people And the only thing I could zero in is because she stopped believing my lies. Mm. My parents stopped believing my lies, and that was why I was so angry. And so I got to us 2 well in 2000, um, early 2012. uh, And remember something radically different. Um, before I was, Hey, I'm Adam, I'm an addict. Hey, if you do these steps, you don't, you know, you could have remission, you could, but you're always going to be this. And the, one of the first things I remember hearing, I came in on a day that they were doing a graduation and I remember hearing that you don't have to be this, your identity's not in this. And all of a sudden, no matter whatever state I was in coming down off of being high, starting to feel withdrawals, hating life, hating everything, hating myself. I remember hearing, that you don't have to be this. And all of a sudden hope sparked not a lot. It was enough. And I began to hear things like I teach now and like you teach and that there's freedom in Christ and that, um, that, that, you know, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. I began to hear this and it began to fester and the hope began to spur and like that, that hope began to grow and hope is a powerful, powerful thing, man. Amen. And as that began to grow, I just wanted to know God. And there's a few key moments early on that I'll, I'll never forget. I've talked about one on the podcast and I'll talk, I'll talk about the other. I haven't really, but I remember reading judges chapter six and you could put this up there. Um, I believe it's six verse 12 and basically it's about Gideon and, uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And the very first thing that the angel of the Lord says to Gideon is the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, or O mighty warrior. And just because I was raised, the way I was raised, and just manly, like valor, warrior, braveheart, you know, gladiator, I was hooked. I was like, oh, okay. But as I read the story in, in Judges 6, what it didn't add up to what 
the words that God said to Gideon versus who Gideon was didn't add up. And I was like, wait, I was conflicted. Gideon, as you read the story, was found in a wine press, meaning he was in a hole in the ground sifting wheat. He was hiding as a coward because when you sift wheat, you throw it in the air, and the air takes out like the impurities, and he's in a hole doing this. You don't get a lot of wind doing that, right? Uh, and then you go and read, and he's like, wait, his family was in the least tribe. His family was the least of that tribe, and he was the least of his family. So he was the least of the least of the least. And the first words God said to this man is, Oh, mighty man of valor. Hmm. I was like, hold up, man. I hate who I am right now. I am scum is what I thought. I am damaged goods. I've wrecked everything in my life. My wife's left me. My family doesn't trust me. I've been kicked out of every place I could ever live. I have nothing. I'm in the pit, an endless pit. Could God see me this way? God, or, and in that hope and mixed with the story, and it was like, I felt purpose. I was like, okay, God, am I a mighty man of valor? Because I don't feel like it, and neither did Gideon, right? And I just remember that did something, and that stuck with me forever, and I just felt like God was telling me that, not telling me that you're a warrior or you're a valor man, but, hey, I see you different than you see you. I see you different than the world sees you. I don't see a coward hiding in a hole sifting wheat. I don't see the least of the least of the least. I see a mighty man of valor in you. And that did something then. I began to want to know more about this. I wanted to dive in, and I just I consumed his word. I consumed his word. I began to just say, okay, my yes was on the table, and that was one. Now, here was number two that I can identify that I did talk about on the podcast very clearly. It was a moment I was still very just, I mean, didn't know anything, right? And I remember, and we talked about it earlier, we were talking about off camera about someone doing a foxhole prayer. All my life I was doing foxhole prayers. God, if you get me out of this, then I will do this. If you get me out of this, if I don't do this, if you just do this, God, I will, like I'm making a deal with God. And I remember this moment that I stop saying, if you will do this, God, I will do this, to saying, God, even if this happens, I'm all in. If the divorce papers arrive today in the mail, I'm going to serve you, God. If the lawman pulls in to take me to jail, I'm going to serve you, God. Even if. So if, God, you do this to even if this happens. And I remember that, and that was such radically different. And I meant it. Right. It wasn't lip service because no one was having this conversation but me and God. And I knew God knew my thoughts and that was terrifying. But it was like, OK. And so that just began a journey of my yes being on the table and I wanted to grow. And then it went from I don't know how long, but my wife wouldn't take any phone calls. I was just I didn't know what was next, but, but just yes was on the table to God to where finally I got a message saying your wife wants you to call her. And, you know, it was crazy the same day. And my wife and I talked about this afterwards multiple times when we've done stuff together. The same day that I told God, even if my wife was in the car, she could tell you exactly where she was two and a half hours away. And we figured it was probably the exact same time. My wife had a similar conversation with God. Mm. And it wasn't even, it, it was... Because she had just, I think she was doing... Um, 
some like landscaping with her church, with a group. And there was a woman there that told her, what if you give him one more chance? What would happen if you gave him one more chance? (laughs) And then her driving home that day, we think it was the same time that she said, even if God, I'm going to serve you. And it was just a moment. And so God began to restore our marriage long distance. Right. And like a bunch of other stories I could talk about. I mean, well, goodness, I've been going a long time already, but, um, man, God just began to grow me and grow us in our marriage to where at the end of my time, S2L came and was like, Hey, and I remember my mom and Special Olympics, and I just I was, I was I was wired, and I was just I'm supposed to help people, and I had that in me, and they asked me to intern. So I was like, okay, I'll intern, right? Knowing in the back of my head they're going to ask me to be a staff member, and that's a hard no. And so I interned for a while and did this, and Katie, my wife, was just marriage restored. And it was kind of hard because I was trying to, like, heal something long distance. At the end of the internship, they came and asked me to, to – to come on as a full-time staff member, Adam will pay you $50 a week. And I was like, where, uh, me and my wife are going to pray about it. Give us a few days, give us three days. We're going to pray about it. I just was trying to be polite and give a church answer. I didn't know, you know? And so I, I did, I called my wife and I was like, Hey, Katie, obviously this is ridiculous. Any opportunity for a career, my family, your family, everything's in East Tennessee, two and a half hours away. But I told him we'd pray about this. Will you join me with praying? And then on day two of us praying, my wife's boss comes to her in Knoxville and just saying, hey, Katie, we want to, they didn't know anything about our situation. Hey, Katie, there's an opportunity for a promotion, and we thought of you, probably not realistic, but here's the kicker. You'd have to move to Middle Tennessee if you want to take this promotion. And Katie called me and told me that. I was like, really, God? So Middle Tennessee is where S2L is. And so, man, we felt like that was the, okay, God, that was your sign. We did, we were just kind of joking about praying about it, Lord, but I guess you showed up and our hard headedness, you made it clear. And so my wife moved here and I did, man, I started here making $50 a week, living about 45, 50 minutes away from where I was working. And so it was barely enough to even cover gas for the week. And just my, my yes was on the table and God began to provide, God began to provide and growing us and growing us and growing us, uh, in our, walk with him and our relationship and he just began to open doors and table not tables again windows and doors for me to to grow and learn i did every aspect from toilet cleaning to cooking to uh teaching to coaching to to everything inside of s2l and he just began to open and give me different opportunities to where you know 10 years later i'm now the chief executive officer and pastor of s2l and uh, man, he's doing amazing things uh, through S2L. And it's just, I think it's because there's a team of people around us that their yes is on the table. And man, I have two kids now. And that was, a, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about and how we tried and tried and, and the not able to have kids. And then, you know, we have two beautiful children now. Uh, and yeah, and we've been able to do amazing things, and God's doing some some work. And um, I think, uh, honestly, and I tell the staff this, I think He's just getting started, you know. And with the the po- the, the podcast, with the documentary, and just where we are as a ministry, I feel like God is. This is about to be our biggest growth year to date, 
which is crazy to think, right? Mm. And yeah, I mean, and just being able to see thousands of men come through and share hope and see the light come on and share struggles. And the dark side of this is, you know, you got, if you're in addiction recovery as a pastor, you're going to do funerals and having to learn and grow through that and walk with families through that. But on the other side of that, see families restored, see the light come on in guys' eyes, have a guy come into the program give his life to Christ and go home. And now his entire family and extended family is walking with the Lord and plugged in and serving in a church. And it's just like from the rooms of recovery comes the revival of a nation. And I've been able to see that. And I believe that that's even more so about to happen. And I don't know, man, uh, that's like the 30 minutes into it. That's the, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's a mic drop. I re- I don't I don't know. I was gonna comment on something, but man, that's 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 so powerful. I remember hearing about this dude when I was a student when I came through the first time in 2017. And you know, I think you did what eight months, and you were already the, the CEO and pastor um, at S2. And I'm like, hold on, you're telling me the pastor here went through this program and slept in this basement mm-hmm. for several months? And I'm like, yeah. And to a dude who's lost who didn't know Christ, it's like that's something tangible that you can like okay, wait, this dude is similar to me. He didn't just yeah. like grow up, know the Lord his whole life and then become a pastor. It's like, no, he's got a dark past. Yeah. And I had never known many people in the church in my life. So like, dude, that inspired me more so than, than you even know. And I know it was God through you, but man, your testimony in and of itself, man, it's so powerful, so yeah. powerful to dudes in that season. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear a lot of times, I don't see you that way, man. Right. And praise God, yeah. because I would have robbed you and <laughs> and punched you in the ear. And and that's, that's not who I am. And, and it's not glory to Adam. It's glory to God, because I tried it my way. Yeah. I went to the places. I did the meetings. I, I did all of these things that I thought I was supposed to do. And man, it wasn't until just God saved me. And I remember just being baptized. Um, and I don't even know. And it was, it was, that was another thing. And I remember being baptized early on and it was before my wife moved here. And in my head, I was like, I really want her to see this. I want to wait and do it. But I just felt like God was calling me to be baptized and it wasn't for my wife. Mm. And I remember getting baptized and I remember all of it. And I remember being able to baptize just guys and to think, like you said, like, gosh, who am I? Like, God, are you really using me to do this? I don't feel worthy. And it was like, you're not worthy, but my son is, and his blood is shed over you. And so you are worthy. You're adopted into my family and it's not about you. And, um, yeah, man, it's just a, it's just a journey. And I'm, I didn't plan on getting emotional. Uh, I've said this test, like I said, so many times, even recently, so many times. Um, but yeah, man, God is good. And, if he could do it, as Chittister was saying, if he could do what he did in my life, uh, I know he could do it in yours. That's right. Um, Amen. How do I know that? One, through experience. Um, two, through the thousands of men that I've gotten to minister to. But most importantly, through his word. Through his word, it says that there's freedom. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Talks about if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. It talks about I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. 
Uh, I mean, all throughout this, we hear a freedom from bondage and our identity is such a big piece in addiction. And when I got that, when I really understood whose I was, it was that judges, like I was saying, like, wait, you, you see me different than the world. Even though you see me different than me. And I mean, one of the things I guess I'll leave you with, and I probably have talked about this, but just struggling with forgiving myself. Yeah. Right. When you live a life of addiction, there is a lot of darkness and damage and chaos and destruction and despair that you cause in in your family and loved ones around you. Mostly the people you love the most get hurt the most. And after you come to the Lord, man, after you give your life to Christ, after you chase hard after him, your mind is clear and you seek righteous things. Yep, there's this, and you've forgiven, I forgave people. You know, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a lot of trauma in my life, but I've been wronged right? It was easy for me to forgive people, but it was impossible for me to forgive myself. And especially when that tapes playing back of all the wicked stuff. And it was in this moment that reading his word, and maybe it was even judges that the Lord, you know, was revealing through his word, um, and scripture, Adam, you know, I love you, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I sent my son to die for you and to pay for your sin. Yeah. You know that because of that, that I forgive you, Adam. Of course, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And then it was, and yet you don't forgive yourself. Are you yet again placing yourself above me, God? Are you playing God again, Adam? And I was like, ooh, I didn't like that, you know? And that forced me to begin this process of forgiving myself. And it wasn't immediate. It wasn't easy, but it was like, I'm I'm tired of being on the throne that I never should have been on. I'm tired of putting idols above God. And so I entered into this place, man, and that was another identifier of kind of a game changer because, uh, and I heard this today, it's like I don't want to live, an, I, want to, I want to live with an unoffended heart. An unoffended heart, meaning I'm not going to be offended by what people say. If someone has critique or if someone says something to offend me, I need to live with an unoffended heart, and that is impossible if there's any shame or guilt or unforgiveness in my in my life because pride will well up and I'll have to defend myself, right? So anyways, hmm. if you don't have anything else. I don't, man. You've, that's, that's a mic drop moment. Carl's over there crying in the background. He's worshiping, praying this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the story. I appreciate it, uh, allowing Chester and I to get vulnerable. Yeah. Um, we're probably going to start having some guests on and try out what that feels like. And then we have some ideas for some things in the future, but I appreciate you listening. And that's life. Addiction. You better believe it. Believe it. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.